Thank you very much. Christina Hoxie is here today with us. You are with the Hoxie Collective. And we are going to talk about the final community forum that's this coming Saturday, February 4th, at the Northeast Kansas City Chamber of Commerce offices and talk about the Kessler Park plan. And everything, I've got all of the pages right here of everything that everybody said about Kessler. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're just going to hit the high points. Okay. But I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing what, what you have to say. And uh, I think our listeners are too, because Kessler, Kessler Park's pretty big. I mean, you've got three miles Three and a half, four miles, is it? That's right. Three miles, Mike, from west to east, from Paseo all the way over to Indian Mound at Belmont. Right. Yeah. And, so, and it, so many communities in between that are connected to this place and throughout the city. So many organizations who love recreating and doing their programming in Kessler Park. And it's just been a pure privilege to get to know this park better and all, and so many of the people who are connected with it. So really, thanks for having me on the podcast. Well, thank you for coming in. We appreciate that. Really do. And this year you had kind of an added, let's just call it a bonus, because what was it about a year ago, year and a half, the students from the Kansas City Design Center were undertaking their annual project, and it was the Kessler Park Reservoir. And I think we've addressed some confusion on that particular issue. Well, I thought that was going to happen. Well, where's that money coming from? And well, what about the gondolas? And, you know, we've so many different, you know, ideas came forward uh, in, in that particular project, but it was a student project. And I, and I think that's what some people fail to understand. So walk us through how that's kind of maybe given you a leg up and freed you up to explore some maybe different programming for that particular part of the park. Absolutely. Yeah, that part of the park, that node around the reservoir is connected to a lot of other programming. It's connected to Cliff Drive just down below it the North Terrace Lake, just to the east of it, um, Lexington and Gladstone Boulevard. So yeah, I'm building upon the work that the graduate students from the Kansas City Design Center did allowed us to focus on all the connections. They got such good community feedback on their kind of design concept development. And um, the Kansas City Design Center runs an amazing program. Um, they, they often launch new big ideas in the communities that they work in. Um, so we were able to take the feedback they'd received on their design concepts for the reservoir, do some high-level cost estimation on those, and then focus on some of the other programming and connectivity around that space. Um, the, some of the other community priorities are about safety, connectivity, traffic calming, environmental conservation. So we were able to take those issues even farther in the reservoir area. And that's this isn't the first time that you've worked with KCDC or had them as, I don't know, we call them a community partner. Didn't, weren't they involved with Lichens? As well, or was that a different charrette? Am I? It was a different charrette. There was Eco Abet. That's the one that held a community yeah, yeah, yeah. charrette in Lichens as okay. well. Yeah. 
But there was, I mean, that's, you've worked with KCDC before though, right? I have. I've um, been an, uh, a regular critic in their <laughs> space. And I worked with Vladimir Kristik and Mariah for a long time. Yeah. One of the things that I took away from this particular part of the survey was this little pie chart that says almost 80% of the survey respondents loved what KCDC did with the, the reservoir or they like the idea, but just like to see some mods. So that said, are, are you working some of those things into the Kessler Park plan that, that you've developed or the community has developed? Absolutely. Um, in the node um, of the reservoir, um, we're directly referencing the KCDC work. Um, like I said, we've done some high-level estimates on what some of the factors of that work are, access to the reservoir, structural stabilization, um, really informing the restoration of the plant community within the reservoir, and maintaining some of that amazingly interesting structure that the community is really connected to. So yes, absolutely, we're taking those good ideas and the engagement that the students and their professors did in the community forward. They, they heard from their community members and that was really important to this process. So one of the things that starts and finishes up by the reservoir is the disc golf course. Mm -hmm. And some of the, is that still gonna be a part of that design? Yes, um, absolutely. Um, in terms of the disc golf community, the mountain biking community, the climbing community, the longboarding community, one of the things that is a lesson loud and clear from all of the engagement we've done is keep and promote and enhance the great things that are already happening in this park. Build those resources, make it stronger programming, make the spaces safer for those activities to continue to happen in an even bigger and better way. So yes, everything that's happening in Kessler Park today that people are enjoying and programming and especially all of those amazing volunteers involved in the disc golf community, not only do they help program their activities and maintain those assets and resources, but they also help with honeysuckle clearing and many of the other volunteer activities uh, of cleaning up the parks where they're really involved. So these are these are partners of the parks department mm -hmm. in making our parks and spaces even more welcoming to more people. And I think one of the things that we were talking about internally here that, that is part of this or was part of this was I don't think too many people knew that, that really, where's Maple Park? What is that? Where is that? And then people started driving through to go see the Winter Magic program on Cliff Drive, which was awesome. Which was awesome. I got to bring Aaron in and talk to him. Got to get a six pack in here for that one. But anyway, people didn't really know that Maple Park existed. And you've got some of what I think are really cool updates for that particular West End. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, and there another that's another place that there are so many really cool activities happening from there in the neighborhood. Um, there's a large Burmese community. Uh, that lives near Maple Park, and they have a Sepik Takra court. I may not be saying it exactly right, but it's a game that's played with a net and a ball that's kicked over the net. And 
we went out to find people there in the park to talk with about their priorities for the park. And there were at least 30 to 40 people out there every night playing and enjoying that park and sitting on the picnic benches. And one thing they said is, we need bleachers. We need more tables. You know, we have so many people coming out to play together every night. And our kids run around and play soccer over here in this field. We just need more places for people to sit and gather. So building upon what's already happening, some of our concept development places more courts in that area and also utilizes the space across the street. One of the few flat areas in Kessler Park where so many people have said they need a dog park, not only to socialize with their neighborhoods, but for exercise and to take their dogs out too. So um, we've also heard recently from uh, both partners at Jerusalem Farm and the Giving Grove that they would like to work with the housing authority right there, Riverview Gardens, right by Maple Park, to install a new large orchard. So fruit-bearing trees and bushes, and that Jerusalem Farm would like to be the steward of that orchard along with the community. So there's a lot happening right in that dense little area and and you mentioned you mentioned some key things that that i think is are really really cool jerusalem farms what a dynamite organization and what they bring to the table in terms of engagement not just of the general community but the you know the lower income folks but especially the refugee and the immigrant community and i'm i'm excited that that's going to be a part that they they had input and what's the, what's the name of the game again? I'm going to make you say it, whatever it is. Sepik Takra. <laughs> so I can't, Please I, forgive me if I'm pronouncing that wrong. <laughs> I have never heard of that. But the fact that that's going to be included in that park design, I, I, think, is, I think is cool. And it creates, it creates, I don't know, let's call it a safe space for those immigrants and refugees to come and share their cultures with, with people like me that don't know anything about what is going on and what are you playing, how does it work. Certainly. I, I yeah. think that's cool. And your mention of Jerusalem Farms, I mean, they have been a tremendous advisor to our process in outreach. Their success in the historic Northeast neighborhoods and getting feedback from community members, all community members, has been such a stellar success that we went to them very early on in our process for advice on how to reach the greatest number of people from the greatest number of backgrounds. And they were so willing and generous in their support and help. What else are what else are people going to see on Saturday specifically? Let's just, let's just take. We talked a little bit about the reservoir. Um, what kind of things are in store for for let's say Green Lake, the lagoon? Call it what you will. Um, I know it's it's kind of famous and infamous all at the same time, but tell us a little bit about some of the plans for for Green Lake. Sure, um, there is a grassroots group already working on initiatives around North Terrace Lake. Um, that's what you'll see it called in the plan at least. Um, and they're working with folks from um, MU Extension Department. So Shatomi uh, Luster kind of heads up that group. Um, and it all came from uh, a PIAC application from a young man and his mom, Thank you. Yes. Jack Murphy, mm -hmm. just a couple years ago, he said, 
you know, this lake is really important to me. I want to go fishing there. It needs to be cleaned up. And that galvanized people. This young man taking a stand about environmental conservation issues in his community and wanting to make a better community asset there. And so that group has been meeting now for a couple years. Um, They've gotten some priority projects lined up. They've gotten some funding lined up. And so we've been coordinating with them on the improvements to that lake. So what you'll see in our plan are both some ecological engineering components as well as some new assets around that lake to make sure there's a fully accessible path around the lake, to make sure that the honeysuckle is eradicated, to create a buffer zone that keeps erosion from going into the lake. That's that slough on the, what is it, the southwest Side of the lake, I believe. That's right. That's right. And the southeast and the northeast. (laughs) (laughs) And all around the lake. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot to take care of on that lake, um, as well as some some edge buffer zones with some ecological engineering there, um, as well as some connectivity issues. So stairs that go up the hill, as well as additional connected trails and pathways into the, the Urban Trail Company's trail. And the and the island, and the island in the middle, <laughs> <laughs> the infamous island. The infamous island. Well, and some dredging. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. <sighs> but it does connect right up to the reservoir there, mm-hmm. and up to Lexington. And um, thinking about that area at the top and the reconfiguration of that roadway around the reservoir, both to um, to create a better, more safe traffic pattern and also to keep that erosion from going down the hill you'll see some green infrastructure opportunities as well as some new urban agriculture opportunities directly across the street from pendleton heights orchard it's time to take a break to thank our sponsors shamika's online market in delhi offering catering and nationwide shipping at shamika'sonline.com find their new delhi at 16th and swift in north kansas city shamika's where customers become friends and friends become family From classics to campers, hot rods to hoopties, Seaberg Muffler, your exhaust headquarters since 1974, Armour Road in Burlington in North Kansas City, Missouri. And now back to the newscast. And let's go a little bit farther to the east, coming around that corner where you're down the hill from the colonnade. Uh, What kind of improvements have, have you got slated for, like, say, for example, the colonnade, concourse area, and then again down on Cliff Drive for that area? Right. So the colonnade, what we heard from the community, it's that's where what people consider the real hub of Kessler Park, that main gathering point. And it's used that way. It's so highly populated, so highly utilized. They want it to be safer. They're afraid when their kids run across the middle of Gladstone and to go over to the great playground on the west side and go mm-hmm. down the hillside. Um, so one of the things that the community liked the idea of is closing central Gladstone to vehicles, mm-hmm. creating more of this pedestrian promenade tree-lined, more shade, more spaces for people to enjoy that public right-of-way together and create the grand entrance to the colonnade area there in in concourse. Um, Also, um, making the fountain 
able to be used as a splash park or as a cooling plaza. Mm -hmm. Right now it's already utilized that way, but it's not necessarily safe. So really transitioning that into a safe splash pad or cooling plaza with the same kind of formal structure that it has right now, but more utilized by the community. Can you, you, you talked a little bit about that fountain. It was, it was rebuilt as an interactive fountain and having been here for 30 years, uh, <laughs> 33, uh, you know, I can remember when it was a pool, it was a casting pond. And it was literally, and we had problems with it when I was president of Scarrett back then. It, it was literally Northeast bathtub. And people, they, they did their laundry, they washed their dogs, they washed themselves. And God only knows what else. And it was reconfigured as an interactive fountain. And, and it's been hugely popular, especially on a hot, hot summer days. You talked a little bit about safety. What kind of safety enhancements are you looking at for that particular fountain? Well, especially in the base uh, where, um, where people would be walking near the jets or on the jets. Right now it's, it's structured more as an interactive fountain rather than a splash park. So there are just some... Um, like the grates. Exactly. That make it more, uh, more safe for little toes and okay. little fingers. Yeah, because yeah. my dog hates walking out. You know, I, I yeah. took her out just to see what she would do. I was like, no, I ain't going on that. No. <laughs> <laughs> so it's tug, tug. No. Okay, fine. We're done. Right. So that's reconfiguring those. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, what else for, I, I like the idea of a closed Gladstone Boulevard. I really do because here again, I've been here a while and when the city closed the, the Graham Richardson bridge right there on Gladstone Boulevard, because it's literally unsafe, uh, traffic on Gladstone Boulevard calmed tremendously. And, and cause you got a quarter mile drag strip right there and it's used as such, sadly. But when they closed that bridge, a lot of that went away. And the residents were much happier. They were able to, hey, let's walk across the street and go see this person or that person or whatever. I, I really like that idea. And I think that'll do a lot to and – it, and it solves the tr parking problem there on LaBelle Terrace on Sunday afternoons. Are you doing anything to address that? Because that's kind of an issue too. Right, right. So um – and some of these, I'd say, are nearer term versus longer term. But we're thinking that um, with the help of the Public Works Department, there may even be a possibility to pilot the closure of Gladstone in the near term. For more of the longer term solutions, we do have, as part of our concept, closing LaBelle. Um, so that turn up around to the concourse um, and reconfiguring that um, so that it, there is a, a bikeway and a pedestrian way, um, but less vehicular traffic there. Okay. So just the turn lane there so that it becomes more of a right angle. And people, I'm trying to visualize this sitting here, and I kind of get what you're saying, but people will be able to see this on Saturday. Absolutely. Okay. Yes, yes. and even as a, a longer-term concept development even having a community center building right there in that area of concourse park in the in the grass triangle there over by labelle and fontaine okay yeah gotcha exactly cool. as, a, as a place to rent equipment to use in the park a place to have community gatherings that's something that we heard that people thought was needed there in their park cool deal
Going a little bit farther east, what have we got in store for, let's just say, Gate 4 down around Elmwood and that and uh, the DeCapo Fountain down on Cliff Drive, that vicinity? So where Gate 4 lands on to Gladstone Avenue there, we've uh, considered that kind of a... Um, a trailhead, so to speak. So where Cliff Drive transitions onto Gladstone, and then not only do the trails through the urban trail companies start to pick up, but also a continuous pathway that's improved all the way over to Indian Mount. Right. With um, with stopping points, with those picnic pavilions and trash receptacles and a fully activated pedestrian pathway there. Right now we have a few benches and trash receptacles, but really creating that continuous connected pathway with additional trails. In a 37-year-old asphalt path that is, what, six or seven feet wide, and that that was Rita Nell's project. That, that was one of her, she was the original president of Scarlet Renaissance. And that was one of the things that she wanted built in to the rehab of Cliff Drive back in 1987. So that's how old that path is. Oh, heck it's yeah. been there since 1988. Yeah, it needs a little reefer. Yeah, 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 please, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that connects to uh, an idea that's come from the community about having a rubber-wheeled trolley on Cliff Drive. There wasn't necessarily a lot of community support for opening Cliff Drive back up to vehicles. They like the idea of it being pedestrian and bike oriented, but not everybody can view this amazing place Mm -hmm. by foot or by bike. So creating a a rubber wheel trolley, a lane just for this vehicle that travels along Cliff Drive, comes all the way out gate four onto Gladstone, over to Indian Mine and back, just really a circulator trolley throughout the day. Not only does that have more eyes on the park, it gets more people to be able to see the beauty of the park and to participate in it and to get off at the different stops to participate in different recreational activities along the way. Positive Parks Programming. Yep. So you wanted to go back up to Gate 3, which is up by the museum. Yes. So tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll wrap up with what's going on Saturday, what can people expect to see, and then what's the next step. Cool. So talk to us about Gate 3. All right. So Gate 3 is considered another kind of gateway into Cliff Drive, a trailhead, so to speak. Um, It couldn't have, um, per our concept, there are... um, scooter and bike share stations there. Um, In collaboration with the Kansas City Museum, there can be some additional parking strategies there. Um, That goes back to a study that they did several years ago, too, with their neighborhood. Um, But they are are such a a careful steward of the land uh, in Skerritt Renaissance that that would that would be uh, a project that they would take on as well. Um, another thing that's been considered in that big, beautiful grassy space just across from the museum is the potential for uh, a sculpture park and for some of that lawn to be transitioned into a no-mow lawn, more of a seeded savanna area. So really transitioning into a native planting 
anchored in the Kansas City history of, of plant communities there. Um, and a, a sculpture path with a walking path that would go into the woodland area there. But keeping it low profile enough to maintain those beautiful views and vistas that we heard from the community are so important to that space and to their community. Yeah, I, I do know that a lot of art classes come up to that west side of the museum and they'll you'll see regularly during the warmer months obviously people out there with their easels and they're painting the skyline and and the parks department did what do they call it a plenary is that what they call that plain air plain that that yeah and they they did that uh a couple years back and somebody won a prize i can't remember but it it was a really cool event and it brought people out that weren't normally you know out into that park yeah yeah to see that vista of our city is just it's a great place to be it is so let's talk about the money part of this what's the, <laughs> that's obviously the next step yeah um the yes. funding mechanisms right. to to make this all go and what those partnerships look like what what can you tell us about that right. so one of the things you'll see at the community open house on saturday are some cost estimates um, and you know, put your garters on your socks. There, there. It's not an inexpensive mm. park to fund, um, and there's a lot in that work that's about operation and maintenance. It's about environmental conservation. It's about increased safety. Um, those are some of the main priority areas that we've heard from the community. So, what we're trying to outline is a plan that hits those priorities first with actions that can be taken in the near term that then feed into that long-term vision that we hope you will come and say that yes this is a mirror reflection of what what we heard from the community and we want you to come and tell us and make sure that we've heard you correctly and that this park plan is showing what you want to see in the future of this park and then we can get to work um, there is a there, it is. there is a galvanized group of local community members and organizations that are ready to take on those first few steps of organizing and fundraising and digging into some of those first few hairy issues of uh, of security and conservation in the park. Um, there are several strategies that are part of that park's plan that knit together very well um, and create an even stronger strategy of steps to take first. So we're trying to outline those near-term actions as well as the long ones that, um, that help people see where they can plug in. Um, so you'll, you'll see at this open house that will come around to safety, maintenance, conservation, connectivity, and activation. And you'll see these concept developments for each area of the park and how that's carried out in each of those areas of the park. You'll see some cost estimations for some of the near-term and long-term activities and facilities. Um, There'll be an opportunity for you to take a look at the operation and maintenance plan. If you want to, <laughs> it's more of a parks-facing document, but the right. connectivity plan is something that everybody's had feedback on. Um, and then finally, there'll be the invitation to get involved in these next steps of volunteering and working with your neighbors on those first action areas. And just from top to bottom, uh, a couple of things. We had Troy Schulte on a podcast with us a couple of years ago, and he was very interested 
in getting involved in partnering with the Parks Department and the museum on maybe lending a little bit of a hand in terms of that, that pathway that leads up to the museum and helping with that maintenance. As a matter of fact, I think he said, one of his quotes was, if I'd have, uh, let me see, if I'd have known we had a bulldozer, I'd be over there right now clearing land. Now that was Troy. But um, from, you know, from that level of partnership all the way down to Kelly Jander and her, and her parks ambassadors, yep. and she just does a phenomenal job really? uh, going around and taking care of business. I mean, those are the kind of volunteer opportunities that you're, that you're looking for participation in, correct? Exactly. So anything else that you'd like to hit on that, that we maybe hadn't talked about? Oh, I think you did a great job leading me through the park and kind of our process and what we've heard from folks. I just encourage people to come out, make sure that you've, you've seen this work, that you've given your feedback, and that um, this is going to be a plan for the next 10, 15 years to really help guide not only the Parks Department in what happens next, but your community endeavors too. Make sure this is really reflective of what your community needs. And this is going to be this Saturday. That's correct. February 4th, starting at 10 a.m. at the Northeast Chamber of Commerce in their community room. And that is 2657 Independence Avenue. And it will run through what time? From 10 a.m. to noon. Till noon. And it's an open house. Come as you please. Stay as long as you'd like. The consultant team and the Parks Department staff will be there to talk with. We look forward to having a conversation with you. Oh, and if people want to get more information on the plan itself, what is your website? They can contact me, Christina Hoxie, C-H-O-X-I-E at hoxiecollective.com. And there's also a project website, kesslerparkplankc.com. There we go. Christina Hoxie from the Hoxie Collective, thanks for coming in and talking to us about the Kessler Park Plan. We'll see you Saturday morning. Thank you so much, Mike. Thanks. Thanks.